The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Um, I don't know what you call that. It, oh, Steve left here. But it's not a remake of the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. But it's very, I mean, doesn't that go back when you hear that song? Like, oh, yeah, that's like, what a friend we have in Jesus. And I just love that, that verse from Scripture from John chapter 15 where Jesus says to his disciples, and he says it to us, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I've made known to my heaven, from my heavenly Father, everything that he's made known to me, I've made known to you, the Bible says. And I think when you come to worship like that, it's a privilege to understand that friendship that you have and to appreciate that more and more. Don't you think? Coming to the church, I appreciate more and more. I understand what it means to have a friend in Jesus. Yeah, we have this creator God that sometimes is way up here, right? But then we look to Jesus and we understand He's made a way for us to have that friendship. And that's just amazing to me. We have a privilege to start a three kind of part sermon series on the topic of forgiveness. Um, And it begins tonight. And I think one of the biggest kind of things a follower of Jesus does in his life is to extend and receive forgiveness. Almost on a daily basis. That's really what we get the privilege to do being part of the kingdom of God. Because when you're part of the kingdom of God, really forgiveness is is just a huge part. It is. In fact, in the scriptures, forgiveness is one of the main teachings of the Christian faith. It's mentioned more than 190 times in the Bible. If it's mentioned that many times, it's got to be an important topic. I think one that we can talk about over and over again. You could almost argue that forgiveness really is the foundation of Christianity. Think about that. Forgiveness is the foundation of Christianity. For for just a moment, because isn't it forgiveness that allows us to have a relationship restored with a holy God? Isn't it forgiveness that allows us to be in heaven? And isn't it forgiveness that gives us the opportunity to repair broken relationships with each other? I mean... It's all about forgiveness. A month ago, just, I think, is it 25th today? A month ago, we just celebrated the birth of our Savior. You remember that? Christmas time? It feels like it's so long ago now. But, but isn't that why Jesus was born? For forgiveness? I mean, isn't that why he died on the cross? For forgiveness? Isn't one of the main reasons that we come to worship that we would hear in the songs that we sing and the scriptures that we read and the preaching that, that is, is spoken about him, isn't it about forgiveness? I mean, think about this. When you hear the words, you are forgiven, when it comes into your ears and then gets to your heart, I mean, aren't you set free? That you're pardoned by a holy God and a loving God? Forgiveness. See, forgiveness from our Heavenly Father is not only a main teaching of Christianity, but I think it is unique to Christianity. Other religions have forgiveness, yes, but Christianity, it's unique because other religions, they focus more about the works balancing out, like the good works balancing out the wrong a person does. 
There's really never a guarantee that you can appease the God that you worship in a religion. There's always doubt, there's fear, there's angst. You don't have assurance of being in heaven. But in the Christian faith, in Christianity, God's forgiveness is secure and hope because we know we have a Savior in Jesus. His life on earth, he talked a lot about forgiveness. When, when Jesus would, would heal a person, right before he healed a person, he would say, son or daughter, your sins are what? You're forgiven. And the Jewish leaders around as they follow him all around, like, who, who could say that except God alone? You know, when you read that in the Bible, I think about Jesus just kind of mouthing quietly, exactly, that's what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> I'm God, you know? Forgiveness. I mean, it was on the forefront of Jesus' mind as he had his last supper with his disciples. Take eat, take drink for the forgiveness of sins. As he hangs on the cross, it was his first words out of his mouth. Father, for, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Forgiveness. It's a big topic. But we're going to talk about this for the next three weeks even after Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, it says in Luke chapter 24, these words, Jesus walking along with his disciples to the road, on the road to Emmaus, he says, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and what? Forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. So you really, you really could say this about Jesus, that he was born to forgive that he lived to forgive, that he died and rose again, all because of forgiveness. I think it's so fascinating, not, not only do world religions have this distortion, but even in secular counseling, they're all talking about forgiveness. I mean, maybe you've heard this, oh, just forgive and forget, right? Let it go. Don't hold grudges. I mean, it's better for your mental and, and stress life, right, to do not do that. Everyone deserves a second chance. You know, when you hear those kinds of things, there's some half-truths in that. But what is biblical forgiveness? That's what we want to talk about these next three weeks. And so, why do you think it is hard to forgive one another? Why is it hard? Because sin separates, doesn't it? Especially the sin that we commit between a holy God. Sin separates. I mean, it does. When someone sins against you, I mean... It hurts, doesn't it? And it's almost like that person who sinned against you incurs a debt in that relationship. And there's separation in that relationship. Even if they apologize, right? Yeah, the offense still happened. The pain is still there, isn't it? Forgiveness, oftentimes it just, it's, it's not deserved. Really, negative consequences are deserved. And the truth is, it's not everyone deserves a second chance. Really, there's no one who is deserving of forgiveness. Think about that. I mean, every single person on the face of the earth, if we got what we deserved, it would be not forgiveness. It would be condemnation, wouldn't it? The Bible says that. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That's the penalty that's deserved when someone breaks God's laws. Do you break God's laws? So do I. I do too. So when anyone breaks God's laws, there's a penalty. There's a punishment. The punishment, in the end, is eternal separation 
from God and the blessings that he has in a place called where? Hell. I mean, really, that's what sin's debts deserve. So where's forgiveness come into play to that? What are we going to talk about today is the forgiveness of God and how we would forgive one another. Next week, we're going to talk about forgiving yourself. And the, and the week after that, I'll talk a little bit about how we live a life of forgiveness. And so off we go. Open up your Bibles, please. Matthew chapter 18. Found on page 1,527. Matthew 18, it's a parable. Parable of Jesus. So a parable is a story that Jesus tells with a spiritual meaning. The parable of the unmerciful servant. And as you look at your outline, yeah, I have... One of the first times in a long, long time has, you know, words that you have to write down. <laughs> Pay attention. I don't know if you knew that about me. I really don't have those lines like RJ and Joe does, right? Did you know that about me? No, that's fine. It's new to me. So we're going to go section by section on, on this, uh, this parable, kind of, not verse by verse, but kind of section by section and learn as we go. So we're going to start in verse 21. Jesus says, the scripture says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy. Seven times. And I'll never forget when I was, when Jen and I, when we had our six kids and they were all little, and we were trying to teach them the topic of forgiveness. Yes, in the Bose household, we had to forgive each other daily. Right? Okay, so we pop in a VeggieTales video, and it's like the second episode of VeggieTales, and, and I'll never forget the little animated vegetable and the, and the kind of the southern voice, you know, when, when we're, they're talking about the topic of forgiveness. What's 70 times 7? And they're trying to figure it out, you know, not multiplying, and I, I hate trying to do math in public, too. I'm, I'm awful at it. But, but 70 times 7 is what? Yeah, this animated voice goes, 490. And, and, you know, so any time we say that in the Bose house, 490, that's just, oh, we, we got it right away. We, we know that we got to forgive. That's, it's forgiveness. But, but really, that's not what Jesus is trying to say here. Because biblical scholars really, it's not literally 490, not that number. But the number seven in the Bible stands for something. It stands for the number of completion or perfection. Then you multiply it by a factor of seven again. Jesus is saying really in, in, in God's kingdom, he's communicating forgiveness is unlimited. It's without limit. So when Peter says, hey, Jesus, give me a number. How many times are we supposed to forgive somebody? And Jesus says, Peter, you want a number? I'll give you a number. You know, try completion squared or, or for perfection to the 10th degree. In God's kingdom, forgiveness is unlimited. And it's really only with God's help through the Holy Spirit do we have the, the ability to forgive others repeatedly just as God forgives. It takes spiritual maturity. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength, actually. Jesus told then, instead of theologically explaining 490 or whatever it is, right, he tells a story. And so in verse 23, Jesus says this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Here's what I want you to first realize about the story Jesus told. He says, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. 
This is what the kingdom of God is like. Meaning, this story is for those who believe in Jesus, those who are baptized and followers of Jesus, not for people who don't believe or don't yet follow. It's for those who are in God's kingdom. This is how he wants his children to live and to act in his kingdom. Who's the king in this story? Any guesses? We'll talk about that later. But Jesus says the king. The king wanted to settle accounts with his servants. No reason why is given in this story. But if you're a king, you have the right to call in a debt anytime you want, right? To call that loan in whenever you wanted. Maybe he did this annually. Maybe he did this, you know, because he needed to, to finance a war or whatever. We don't know. But one particular servant owed how many? 10,000 talents. What's that mean? Well, archaeological and biblical records talk about a talent being a unit of measure, a weight, somewhere between 60 to 80 pounds. So 10,000 talents equals 300 to 400 tons. What's that mean? Well, an elephant's about seven tons. So if we're talking 10,000 talents, maybe of gold, in today's economy, it's 12 to 16 billion. 12 to 16 billion dollars. A lot of money. So, of course, what do I do as I prepare for this message? I, I look at Forbes magazine. 2019, Forbes magazine. This article says, here are the 400 richest people in America. Right? Top four. Guess who's number one? Is it Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, you think? Maybe Bill Gates from Microsoft? Jeff Bezos from Amazon? Is it Warren Buffett from uh, Berkshire Hathaway? Which one do you think it is? He was just in the news, actually, this past week. Yes, Jeff Bezos from Amazon. You know his net worth? $114 billion. The list was fascinating. From technology to sports to entertainment. You know, and finally you work your, your list, the, way, the list down there, the, the, the crazy rich list, to 12 to 16 billion of net worth. You know who that is? A, guys like the names of Pierre Omidyar from eBay and PayPal. Or in, in, my, in my day, Carl Icahn was a big name, that invest in, investments guy, this corporate raider, because he owned TWA, which was the hub in St. Louis, and I worked for the airport for 10 years. I was actually in Carl Icahn's office. Cherry Mahogany Wood in, in Mount Kisco, New York, you know, and I was coveting. I said, I got to get out of here. <laughs> it was amazing, but, but 12 to 16 billion is what we're talking about in this story that Jesus is telling us. Most human beings, really, we couldn't even make the interest payments on this kind of debt. But by telling this parable, Jesus is explaining this is the massive debt that sin causes. Your sin, my sin. That's what it causes in God's economy. And really what he's saying is we can never ever repay that. No matter how long or how hard we work, there's no amount of good works or sacrifices to outweigh the wrongs we do against God. Forgiveness cannot be earned. So Jesus goes on to the next part of the parable in verse 25. Since he was not able to pay... The king ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. What's Jesus trying to say? That there's a penalty for such a large debt that's unpaid. The life of a, of a, a man, a woman, the children, they all went into slavery. Everything he owned was sold to go towards paying off the debt. 
And the king had the right to do this. And yet still that wouldn't be enough. I mean, once they're sold in a savory, they would never be able to be free again. So in this parable, Jesus is pronouncing judgment. He's explaining how our sin causes us to deserve the eternal punishment of hell. Because here's the thing, our sin, our sin puts us in a situation where we don't deserve forgiveness. Is that hard to hear? It does. It's hard for me to hear that. But just as the servant in this parable is never going to be free from slavery, you and I would never be freed from slavery too unless Jesus did something about it. So what happens next in the story, verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him and he says, be patient with me. He begged. And I will pay everything back. Now knowing what you know about the amount of debt, is there any way the servant could pay that back in his lifetime? No way. Yet he begs for mercy from, from the, the king. See, Jesus wants you to imagine this as we hear this story. How often have you tried to bargain with God? How often you said, I promise I'm going to do better, God. I'm going to really, really try hard to be a better person. It's foolish and immature when we do that. Just as much as it was foolish for this man to say, I can pay everything back. He can't, we can't. We can't ever earn enough merit to outweigh what we owe to God. That's the point of this part of the parable. But yet the parable continues in verse 27. The king does something shocking. And I don't think any earthly king would ever consider this. What's it say in verse 27? The servant's master took pity on him. Cancel the debt. And let him go. Say what? I mean, that's mind-boggling. That's astonishing. You're going to cancel 12 to 16 billion dollars worth of debt and you say go? What kind of king would do that? Who's the king? God's the king. Because God is the kind of God that we have that would do that. When, you and I, when, when we read this parable of Jesus, one way to find out who God is in any story is you look for a person who's crazy generous. That's what you do. It doesn't matter the parable. Look for the person who's crazy generous. Then you're going to find out who God is. God's compassion, his mercy, his love moves him to forgive the dead. See, everyone listening to, this, to Jesus at this point, they know no earthly king would ever do that. That level of mercy and generosity, I mean, just blows the hearers away. They're shocked. So as we think about this concept of forgiveness, I just don't want us to think about it in, in general terms. Let's kind of make it applicable to us, okay? So let's just imagine this, okay? If someone sins against us. Imagine that you got a new coworker at your job. Or there's a new student in your class. And the boss or the teacher says, you're going to work with this person because you got a project to do. Okay, has that happened before to you, maybe in school or at your workplace? How could this person make your life miserable? How could they sin against you? Well, they might not do their part of the project, right? And blame you for something you didn't do. They might, ma they, they might mock you. They might slack on their end. They might say mean things about you, right? All kinds of stuff they could do. They could take and they could bully you. They could vandalize your stuff. They could ask to borrow money and not pay it back. I mean, this person could single-handedly just defend and hurt you and damage relationships. And maybe that's happened to you. I mean, this kind of thing just happens in our world. 
Every company, every school, every family, every day, we could experience this. Couldn't we? Even if you didn't do anything to provoke them or initiate, it just happens all the time. So in this scenario, think about if that person then would come to you and say, hey, I want to be your friend now. Or, you know, ask for something more of you. I mean, there's no way you'd want to do that, is there? Absolutely not. But think about God and how big he is in this context, in this parable. Each and every human being on the planet owes that kind of massive sin debt toward God. All the people who ever lived before us, all the people that will live after us, that's the kind of debt they owe to God. And then how crazy generous is the God that we have. Who's the, gen- who's the most generous person you know of? Can they even come close to how generous God is? What's the most merciful story you've ever heard outside of Jesus' story, right? Can it even come close to how crazy merciful God is? God offers his forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ. What he's going to say in this story and what he said to us already is that the debt is free and clear in his sight. You remember Jesus' words on the cross, not just, Father, forgive them, but he says, it is finished. You know what it is finished means? In the Greek, it means that a debtor paid his debt. The person who held the debt would would write, it is finished on the contract. It meant the loan contract has been paid in full. Paid in full. When Jesus suffered and he died on the cross, he did the impossible. He really did. For the sins of the whole world, he paid that enormous debt. That includes your sin and my sin. They're forgiven. Is that good news? Yet there's more to this story. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Kind of the same thing he says, right? He said to the, the, the master, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I mean, Jesus' lesson is clear enough, isn't it? As you've been forgiven mercifully, undeservedly, go and forgive one another. This Greek word forgive, it it translates like this, to send away, to release. I think of the Psalms, you know, as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed my sin from me. So forgiveness means to send away, to let go, to release. It's complete and utter absolution. That's what God did to our sin and even the guilt of our sin. And we're to do the same for others. Maybe you've heard people say this. Maybe you've said it yourself. I can't forgive that person for what they did to me or what they did to my family or my friend or my country or my business or whatever. Or maybe you've heard this. I can't forgive myself 
for what I did. Have you ever said those words, thought those words, heard those words? Well, really, that's the first step is to admit you're absolutely right. You can't forgive. But true forgiveness doesn't originate from us. It's God's doing. God initiates. God orchestrates it. God sees it through to completion. So that's the servant that the king forgave. He wasn't in any way deserving of what he, what he received. But forgiveness really that is rooted in Jesus, that passes through the cross, is all undeserved, isn't it? And that's what makes it so precious. As I stand here today or tonight and as you sit there in your seats, would you acknowledge that we're all children of grace? That we're getting something that we don't deserve? Forgiveness. We didn't ask for it. For, for, we didn't ask for God's love. He gives it to us. He offers it freely. Yet it's a great cost. It costs him his own son. You see, we aren't forgiven because we deserve it. So we shouldn't withhold that forgiveness because others we deem are undeserving. This is what the kingdom of God is like. In God's kingdom, he doesn't want people to hold grudges. He doesn't want people to seek revenge or who won't forgive freely. See, here's the thing. Many people, they don't dare step into church because they feel this massive sin debt they owe to God. And frankly, they're just afraid. They're afraid that God is angry at them and won't forgive them. And then the vice versa is true, too. There's some people with the opposite mindset. They don't realize the amount of sin they have in their life and how much they have offended God. And they don't think they need the forgiveness that God gives to him or her through Jesus. But here's the thing. Church is not a debt collection agency. But it's a debt forgiveness agency. Amen? Church is a place for sinners who carry an impossible debt to walk away scot-free. Thank you, Jesus. Just say that. Thank you, Jesus. So he finishes this story, Jesus does, and he shows how sad it was that the servant who received that forgiveness from such a large debt can't forgive the servant who owed him just a small debt, a debt equivalent to about a small car payment. Really, that's what it is. It's minuscule compared to the massive debt that the king forgave earlier. Nevertheless, this servant had no mercy. So what's Jesus trying to say? He's demonstrating that he didn't appreciate the forgiveness the king had for him. Right? And Jesus warns of that danger of such an unforgiving attitude. When the king learned that from his servants, what did the king do? He called the servant wicked. He said you should have mercy. He got angry. He turned him in to be punished. And he finishes with a stern warning. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Yikes. That's a dangerous warning, isn't it? I mean, with these words, Jesus teaching all of us, those who receive this massive gift of forgiveness, we got to share it with others. You see, here's the thing. Jesus not only gives us forgiveness, gives it to us, but he also says forgiveness comes through you. The forgiven sinner readily forgives those who sin against him. Yet, we're sinner and saint at the same time, aren't we? Meaning, 
We live in this body of sin, yet God has called us apart to be his holy ones. And there's a battle that goes on. The world, the devil, our own sinfulness, we have this battle because we want to hold grudges. And we don't want to forgive other people. Yet the more we understand and appreciate God's unmerited, meaning not worked for forgiveness, we're moved to be able to offer that forgiveness to others. See, Jesus' parable tells us how our Heavenly Father restores our broken relationship with Him through Jesus. The debt has been paid for. We're reconciled to Him, and therefore we can be reconciled to one another. So here's the question, really. Is there someone to whom you need to extend forgiveness? Who's on your heart? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your gift of forgiveness is truly amazing. It's undeserved. I thank you that you sought me out. You sought everyone out that's called to be your own first, to give forgiveness to us first. Lord, we love because you first loved us. So I pray that as we talk about this topic these next weeks to come, you would help us grow in that knowledge and appreciation that it would blow us away what you've done for us so that we might be able to forgive somebody else. And it starts with understanding that we can't do it, God, but that through your words and through your spirit, you would help us with our attitudes of our own heart, that we would receive your forgiveness personally for all the wrongs we commit against you in thought, word, and deed, and that your spirit would fill us with joy and peace to trust your promise, Jesus, you love us and you always will. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.